here we go then. Another episode of Making Games is Fun. If you missed it, I did a little kind of interim piece between this one and the and the previous recording. Uh, and we host that over at Midnight Resistance. What that was, was me taking some preliminary audio that I recorded with Peter Molyneux last year, actually, just, just after he um, sort of retired from the press following the John Walker interview. The idea would be to talk to Peter about his life and, you know, as, as this series is, get a much more personal angle on, on him. Um, so we did a kind of a initial recording and I was going to go back and do some more, but it never, never came to light. Um, make of that what you will. So what I did was I teamed up with Mr. Sean Bell over at Midnight Resistance and we made this kind of funny um, salvage piece out of it where we took some clips from it and discussed them and what it says about Peter and, and, and that sort of thing. So that, that was actually really fun because um, there was some good stuff in there. So if you want to listen to that, that's over at midnightresistance.co.uk. Um, subscribe to the podcast anyway. They're good lads. Very funny. And they let me go on sometimes, so that's why they're great, mainly. Now, this episode is with Dan Pierce. We talk about his upcoming game, 10 Second Ninja X, the, which is a sequel to 10 Second Ninja. He talks about why he made it, why he did the sequel, what's happening now, where he's been since the last time we spoke, which was on the Dancast, the live episode we did at Loading Bar. Props to Loading, as always. Um, and we discuss some of the stuff that's happened in his life since including a rather scary little brush with death the grim reaper himself yes you're excited now aren't you yes well go and have a listen and see what how that pans out um as well as just some funny chatter and just lots of daft things lots of serious things it was really good actually we tried for ages and now i'm going to stop trying for ages and let you get on with it so uh enjoy the latest episode of making games is fun At which point, Unicorn flips a coin in the air, goes in slow motion, flips over. And then he kind of like karate chops the coin, and it goes into the guy's neck, and he dies. <laughs> and then the Unicorn goes to keep the change. Considering how that all could have gone down, I, I was... I was very lucky, yeah. but like in every single aspect, like the fact that the, the tax was something that was going to be the fact that um, I, if I'd walked out a second sooner in front of the van, I, I, I would probably be dead. Do you do a lot of portraits though? I used to do a bunch of pixel art portraits and stuff. Um, but like I'd do a few of them for my friends and then I would just get like requests for weeks every single really? day. And it just meant that it was like, okay, either I turn this into a full-time thing, which there's not enough money in it to do that. <laughs> or I start saying no to loads of people. And then yeah. I had to say no to loads of people and they're like, oh, please. Like, no. Because it takes a long time. Yeah. So it sort of was this thing where I was sort of like, I'm just going to stop doing these because every single time I do, it's like a whole thing. <clears throat> It's uh, that time. Um, shame, because I miss drawing. I like because Ninja doesn't let me draw very often. Do you uh, do any art? Do you do the art? 
list. Either. Oh god, yeah, Ten Second Ninja. I do the art, the code, game design, writing. Like, what do you art outsource? As it were. Well, like, what like do you? Bodies. What do you not do? <laughs> I, I don't do sound, and I don't do. There's there's been some very specific implementation code for consoles, and I haven't done that. Everything else, Ten Second Ninja, is me. Okay. Um, which is actually like consider like this is me blowing my own trumpet a bit, but like um, I just realised how sexual that sounds. <laughs> um, but like it's it's weird now that we're getting to the stage where it's like it's nearly done. I'm playing through it. And I'm like, fuck, this was a lot of work. Mm. Like, there's a lot here, and I did it. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> like no, like. Because, you know, obviously, like, from teenagers to now, like, you've had a lot of, like, indie games and stuff, and, like, kids are just like, oh, like, this is this is Dust on the Leasing Tale, it took five years to make it, it was one guy, and you're like, this is bonkers, <coughs> and I finally feel like I'm playing 10 Second Interact, so I'm like, it is nuts that one guy did this. <laughs> like, yes, finally, I'm that guy, yeah. I never have to do this again. Yeah. Next project, whole team, screw it. some point a few years ago or like a couple of years ago these individual ideas I just kind of put out there on Twitter and I was like I feel like someone should be doing this yeah. and then people have gone like no really? or like that won't work I'm really? like I think it'll work they're like no I'm like and like the, the reasons they have for why it won't work don't actually apply to what I have in my head and like feels like it would work it really does mm. Um, and that's the point where I just get frustrated. I'm just like, you know what? No, I'm going to make it work. And then, like, I get to the point where it is in that prototype. So I'm just like, okay, see? See? And I'm like, I can't show anyone this because it might actually be a really cool thing. <laughs> <laughs> I need to monetize it somehow. They can see it in three years. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to sit on it and go, yeah. it did work. I suppose that's the difference between something on paper and then actually acting yeah. it out and can be so different well it's, it's one of the sort of for me it's one of the most important distinctions between sort of like working at a, a proper studio and kind of being you know, quote unquote indie is like if I was at a big studio and I was like yeah can I just take three months to, to prototype this random thing that you can't understand yet because like I had an argument with someone on Twitter like they're like absolutely <laughs> not like like come up with a design doc and then come back but I'm like in like in making games the way I do, like it just turns into a benefit because then it's like if it works, I could present something to people and be like, "This hasn't been done before." Yeah. Um, and it's still yours because I know that yeah. there's some companies that, that do that now. They have this kind of uh, not just in games but tech and in general, I guess, and, and dev where they'll go right one day a week or one day a month is your own project day or. Yeah. And then you just sit there and hammer away on something. Lots of studios do game jams for this, and I, I really like that way of doing it. That's how I and Brad came about. I think that might be how Surfing Simulator came about as well. Yeah, and like I think, uh, I'm not 100% on this, but I'm pretty sure Roll7 has a similar thing where um, they're, they're really, really way too talented designer John Ribbons will just be like, he'll just develop a bunch of prototypes. Um, mm. And then when he thinks one of them is good enough, he'll show it to the rest of the team and just be like, hey, like I made this kind of scrappy thing. 
like mm. let's bullshit up and, and get it out there like I so like I actually met John about six months before Oli Oli One came out right. um, so it was before Royal Seven were, were really becoming like a name um, and we basically just sat and loading back when it was still in Soho and he got his laptop out and we just like started showing all these different prototypes he made and one of them was like not a hero Oh wow. and I remember playing it and just like this is so good <laughs> and then like like a year and a half later, you just see like Devolve go like, yeah, we're publishing this game by Roll7. And it's like, that's the game! That's the game! People have no idea how good this is yet! <laughs> um, so, yeah. is that typical, do you think? Like, you, if you throw out a few prototypes and something sticks and you, you can tell that early on that it's going to yeah. be good if you put more work into it. Yeah, usually you can tell like either because the, the game just feels really nice to play or because... Finally, you can see all the systems in the game interacting with each other and go like, okay, like from a, a purely logical standpoint, yeah, this does make sense, mm-hmm. like in a in a pragmatic way. Um, there's actually there's a, a unlockable mini game in Ten Second Jacks, which started out as just like a, a little prototype jam thing that I made for our lead programmer, well, our, our lead programmer's birthday. Right. Um, it was like originally a game about him, and then we kind of. We noticed some similarities to a, another game that we'd have worked on like three years ago, and we're like, we can turn this into like a pseudo sequel and put it in the game as like an, an unlockable mini game. Right. And that was one of those things where it's just like, you know what, we prototyped it and it just felt good. Yeah. So it was like, you know what, people, like, we, we need to get this out there somehow. It's not really a big enough project that we can try and pitch it to publishers, so let's just like. Put it in as part of the. That's yeah. a neat idea. I, I think I'd like them. to do a lot more. I, I like the idea of like working these little jam things and being like, you know what, like let's just throw it in there. Like yeah. why not? I think that's a cool idea. I think people like that sort of thing as well. Yeah, like I mean, we're all quite young at Full Circle Interactive, and we we kind of like we're kind of living in a, a post like NES kids world where like they were the ones making all the indie games. You get all these throwbacks to, like Mario and stuff like that. <clears throat> yeah, and you know our. Our nostalgia is for stuff like Crash Bandicoot and like Super Mario 54 and that stuff. Like, it's, it's why 10 Second Indirect has like a hub structure instead of like a, a typical level structure. Because like, we just really love hubs. We love that kind of that <laughs> style of progression where you like it's like each level has a thing that you can unlock, and if you unlock that thing, it goes into a big counter in the top right of the corner, and it's like you have this many stars or like yeah. you have this many like collectibles or whatever. <laughs> um, we just like really love that stuff. And a big part of that generation was things where it's like you'd have like, really good Easter eggs, or you'd have, like, entire games just buried in there, or, like, mm. I mean, like, you know, you, you hear all these stories about that kind of generation of games about the, like, N64 generation, and you hear, like, Rare, we're just like, yeah, GoldenEye wasn't supposed to have multiplayer, but we snuck it in there, because we were just kind of, <laughs> we were just kind of messing around, and then we, we thought it was really good, so we added an extra, like, four weeks onto the project and didn't tell our publisher, which <laughs> is great. Just went, by the way, boop, yeah. yeah. And in case Kerr were listening, I would never do that. But um, <laughs> but I, I kind of, I like that style of, of game development where it's just like, you know what, we we can throw a rough version of this together in a very short time span. Yeah. And if it works, like, it's not a massive ask to look at putting it into the, the wider game. Like, we're, we're not making really high fidelity stuff here. So it's like, yeah. it's not expensive to do that. You've got that, there's that freedom which you just don't get. In larger yeah. companies, yeah, because there's just so much tied into it at a certain point. Mm. And that's something that kind of, I mean, if, if this whole sort of running a studio thing doesn't really work out for me, um, 
like some reason we were so far, but like it's like you don't know how the industry's going. Um, and there definitely seems to be a movement where the the indie developers of a few years ago who were like these one man teams are now um, moving on to sort of filling the the mid tier that kind of disappeared after the PS two generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like we, you know, we're very aware that we we're sort of starting to scale up, and now we're thinking less about like okay, what's the game we want to make, and thinking more about like okay, if we're expanding the team, what culture do we have? Mm. Like how how does production work? With, with this small team going forwards um, and having the freedom to, to dictate what a, the studio culture is means that the idea of joining a bigger company later um, if this all falls through and having to integrate myself into a culture that I might not like mm. is um, it's really scary to me mm. like the idea where it's like everything has to be approved or mm. if, if like a development manager or like a a producer way higher up or something. If if they screw up, my entire project's gone. Is really scary. Yeah. Um. And yeah, you know, you'd have to look far for examples of this. Like you know, Fable, Fable Legends. Like, mm. like what was that? Like three, four years of work just gone. Mm. Like that's horrifying. And yeah. it's, it's something you hear about a lot. Um. I mean, different studios deal with it differently. I know Blizzard were were like that with with Titan, the, the MMO they were working on before Overwatch. Mm. Um, like, that was just a project that failed catastrophically and they started again with Overwatch, but they went, like, 10 years without... That that specific team went, like, 10 years without putting something out. Yeah. And it's like... That's that's, that's nightmarish to me. Like, that's a not insignificant portion of my life. That's half of my life so far. <laughs> like, I'm not cool with that. Yeah. Um, so, I... I don't know. I like hand control and I like the idea that, like going forward it's it's not even it's not even about like specifically working on like the the dream game or like the the project that I specifically enjoy it's about like the the game I'm working on is obviously important and I want it to to have some sort of ambition no matter what it is um but it's more about like I I want to make games with people that I like and have and even if it's more stressful I want to have a some sort of direct control over the direction the studio is taking, the dynamic of the team, yeah. all that stuff. It's um, I mean, I've I've definitely covered this in in the series before, but sense of ownership is like a huge yeah. thing, and I wonder with something like Overwatch, it must be an honour to work on it, but by the time it's out, you, you they must, I, I feel like people must have a sense of ownership on certain areas of the yeah. game very specific things like I made that crate you know I'm, yeah. that's my self-help which isn't bad but like I feel like with something like Overwatch you would at least like everyone on that dev team is going to be playtesting it and you would be like oh like, I'm responsible for this like minor tweak that when you've been playing the game for a thousand hours does matter Yeah. but if you're playing something like like the example I always think of even though I really like the series is Assassin's Creed where it's like they're working on these assets that are based on realistic objects and stuff so you, you can't put your own kind of you can't you can't really put your own unique spin on the assets that you put in something like Assassin's Creed yeah um, or if you it, it's very difficult to unless it's, it's one of the kind of future bits um, yeah and that's really I don't know I find that kind of upsetting like if I was someone yeah. a part of that team which has like a thousand people on it and I looked at the game and went like if someone else did my job it wouldn't matter like yes that's horrible because that point is 
just a job. Yes. And it's like I'm I'm kind of endlessly fascinated with studios like Bethesda, um, and studios like Naughty Dog, where even though they're these these huge studios making these like big budget games with like that that bring in a hell of a lot of money, um, the teams seem to have genuine input on everything. Yeah. Um, like everyone seems to have some mm. kind of influence and that's it's difficult to to form a big studio like that but I I really appreciate it when when you can see that and I, I think you can feel it in the games like Bethesda I'm, I, I really am just like I'm constantly <laughs> looking at how Bethesda do things just because I find it really strange that a studio of like I think Fallout 4 had less than 100 people on it and it's like considering it's a game the scale of Assassin's Creed and Assassin's Creed has ten times that team that's nuts so it's yeah. like okay clearly these games are really cheap to make comparatively why aren't people doing this yeah um, is that a like a procedural thing like if you take No Man's Sky that's kind of in terms of like they're not entirely similar those two games but I, no, I, I, I know what you mean to the so World for me, it, it's more about like streamlining content creation, and that, like, when whenever you hear stuff like that, you it sounds like cutting corners. Like, for me, when it comes to stuff like that, it's more about reducing the distance between coming up with an idea and it actually being present in the game. Um, yeah. Like Bethesda, especially where it's like they they have tools that mean that if you go like, oh well, if could we do this mission where you. You know, you go into this like underground bunker and you you shoot a bunch of super mutants. It's like, well, we've already got the super mutants. We've already got the the pieces for that. All we have to do is like place them and like we can put some notes in and have a character talk to you at the end. And it's like you can get put that quest together in like three days, maybe. Like mm-hmm. you can do it really, really quick. And that kind of iterative process, I think, is is really beneficial. I think it's yeah. something that AAA has done kind of a a crummy job of replicating in a lot of other titles um, it's something that we've definitely we've definitely been looking at a lot with the the post 10 second indirects project where we we've spent about a year and a half um, just doing tools right um, just because now and now we're at a point where like but and it's one of the reasons why we have been looking at Bethesda it's like we're now at a stage where we can look at this game and go like okay in the same way that Bethesda can have 60 people and work on a game that looks like it was made by like 500 people we want to take a team of like six or seven by the time the project sort of really got going like we wanted to have about a team of about six or seven and we want it to look like a team of like 50 made it yeah. um, just by coming up with smart solutions for problems when it comes to content creation yeah um like what are the most like you look at a Bethesda game and you're like okay what are the most expensive parts of making this project, and it's things like okay well like the the levels are hand built, like should we be looking for something procedural like, okay those voice actors are expensive do we have a solution for that where we, we don't need to hire voice actors for every single line yeah um, and and it's those kinds of problems you have to solve like okay the the art is clearly expensive. Is there a solution for that where we can find an art style that is economic but also still looks good? Mm. And it's like, once you break it into those individual questions and you solve those questions individually and then you put it back together again, suddenly it's like, okay, this project isn't going to cost millions of, of pounds to make. It's like, the budget's just shrunk way down. Yeah. Um, and, and from sort of looking at, at solving some of those problems, the 
what you tend to realise is like, okay, the reason these big studios don't do that is because you require a lot of communication and you require everyone to be on the same page. And in the the bigger you scale up, like you, that that's not a problem that you can solve by throwing money at it. And I, I really don't want to sound like, you know, like indie developers like screw those guys with their money. I want to be scrappy. Like it's not like that at all. Like I get it. Like I, but you know, you look at your strengths as a small studio, and it's like okay, one of our advantages is we can all be talking all the time and be on the same page. Mm. So why not take advantage of that and yeah. and focus on tools that allow us to to create content really really quickly. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's something we've achieved, and it's something that I'm. I'm quite excited to sort of go forward with once what's ten second injuries out. I think it says a lot about how broad a spectrum games are now that you don't you don't have to do things the same way as a big studio or it's not there's no there is no set way now to make mm. a game. There are there are sort of yeah. smart and, and pre trodden paths on how to make a game that are tried and tested and, and that's good. Obviously that helps people get started, but there's no real you could make a game however you want <clears throat> and by yeah. doing that you can by trying different approaches you make different sorts of games and and it sort of broadens what the medium is mm. in the same way there's no way to write a book there's no way to make a film there's no well there are ways that people have been doing it for a long yeah. time uh, and also importantly like I, I feel like indies well I, I'm not really sure what we call that that like the sort of smaller scale game what do you think what do you think about that the, the term indies now, like, I is it does it need updating? Is it still useful? I feel like it. it I feel like it'd be useful if indie was updated to something else. Mm. But I feel like the definition of the word within the games industry has kind of morphed and changed to the point where everyone kind of knows what it means, mm. even though it doesn't actually mean strictly independent. Yeah. Um, and like I, you know, I I'd consider us indie by the definition that most people use, but like. You know, we're working with Curve Digital, like they published a bunch <laughs> yeah. of like <laughs> Yeah. Like pretty reasonably sized games. It's like Yeah. Maybe it's a, is it a control at this point, is it uh I, for, for me control. it's about control. Yeah. Um and that you know, I, I feel like that's one of the reasons why because there are so many different ways of making games, that kind of scene is I think a little bit too quick to disregard some of the good things that bigger studios do that you can just directly take. Like I mean, as I said, like we've been looking at Bethesda a lot hmm. and sort of going like, okay, what can we take from that and apply to a much smaller project? Because you get like a lot of a lot of really decently sized mods and stuff for yeah. like Bethesda games. It's like they're made by like a few people. They're facilitating these these quite large like experiences with really, really tiny teams. It's like that's useful. Why isn't anyone doing yeah. anything like yeah. it, it just kind of confused me I was like I don't know why other I don't know why small developers aren't taking a lot of these same methods but, and just like putting them in Unity and then making content in the same way because it yeah. seems like it would be like just a really sensible way to, to budget things yeah um, and, and generally I think what you hear is like there's a a lot of people as indies have evolved from the same kind of like one person team mentality instead of just going like okay well we're gonna keep going from one end we're gonna go from this this indie end and keep progressing in a direction like why not look ahead at where you're going and go like okay what lessons are we gonna need to learn down the road and what would be useful to just start taking notes on now yeah like people like champion unity and it's because it allows them to create content quick 
um, or quicker than if they made their own home for engine. And it's like, okay, so why aren't you looking at other ways you can do that? Mm. Um, those people who release those like one person indie team games are releasing their second, third games now, mm. and like they have the budget from that massive one hit wonder. Yeah. Um, and you're you're seeing people scale up as a result of that. So now it's like, like you still get people calling No Man's Sky indie. It's not indie. Like, <laughs> but I mean, it, it is indie in terms of they they have control over it and this why India's term is sort of redundant yeah um, but it's like you look at that and in just terms of production scale it's like it's triple A like mm. it's like I went into game and you can pre-order No Man's Sky it's it's triple A yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like but you still get people calling it indie and I, I feel like as an independent game developer people are gonna like even though the prices are way different they're gonna look at 10 seconds 10 seconds into X and they're gonna look at No Man's Sky and go like these are both indie games, and one is clearly this like massive, huge, <laughs> high production, shiny thing yeah. that Jeff Keighley's been championing, and they've got like my small little like yeah. like ten quick game. Like, um, do you think that's because because yeah. <laughs> they've kind of they cultivated and maintained that kind of indie image from when they were like. And it was just the four of them in the room, and then yeah. well, I mean, was, they're, they're a good yeah. example of this Bethesda thing, right? Where like they they've cultivated that indie image, but also considering how big No Man's Sky is, they're they are a really small team. Like they're they're bigger than the the four people they announced with. Um, yeah, but like they're still a very very small team, mm-hmm. and it's like um, we've got a fly in the room. Yeah, so we've got a fly in the room. It's really it's distracting. It's part of the yeah, it's part of the ambiance. Yeah. We're in Dan's little office area, and we've yeah. got the door open to the beautiful garden. The birds are singing, which you can probably the flies hear. are just flying. Yeah, it's all natural. It's all natural here. Yeah, it's very well. Yeah, you will but occasionally yeah. get the fly going past, so just, <laughs> just enjoy it. It'd it be a must. Um, yeah, but um, so so Halo Games kind of are using this Bethesda method, where like a team that small, in theory, shouldn't be able to make a game that big, but yeah. they are because they're using smart tools, smart methods, right? Yeah. Um. But it's still like this, like in terms of just like marketing and stuff, it's it's AAA, and that's that's an important distinction. Um, but people still consider it indie, yeah. and that means that we're competing, we're not competing with No Man's Sky, but it means that if someone has, if they have forty quid, and they get No Man's Sky or like a couple other indie games, like yeah. it's it, it's a it's a big deal. Um, and it's not necessarily a new problem. I mean, I know I got emails from people when the first Ten Second Ninja came out. Where they were like, "Hey, can I have a code? Because I want to buy Titanfall instead." Um, and I was like, "Okay, so it's not—it's not just like other indies doing this, but it's like I—I I feel like it, the indie scene is getting more competitive in terms of production and budget. Mm. And it's like, I, I know we've been very aware. And it's one of the reasons why we have been looking at these production methods and stuff. Like, we're gonna need to scale up. We're—we're we're going to need to do other things." This kind of sequel, so you've, you've made Ten Second Ninja, gone straight into yeah. Ten Second Ninja X. Um, are you a bit sick of making Ten Second Ninja? So weirdly, when the first game came out, I was sick of making Ten Second Ninja. Right. And then it, but because I, I wasn't entirely happy with the game, and people kept telling me it was done, 
Um, I was like, okay, like, you know, I trust them. This, like, this isn't typically the sort of game I'd actually play. Um, like, I'm, I'm really bad at games, so I don't usually play difficult games. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, one of the reasons why I started doing 10 Second Ninja 1 was because it was kind of an exercise, like, can I make a game that I wouldn't typically play? Mm. And then something happened after the first game came out where, you know, the reviews came out, and the reviews generally were, were really positive, but there were one or two that were kind of negative, rock, like Rock, Paper, Shotgun posted one that they, I, that was kind of negative and I totally agreed with. Mm. And that was kind of the moment I was like, there's unfinished business here. Like, I'm, I'm not happy with what the game is. I, I think the thing with Rock, Paper, Shotgun reviews, they were kind of like, there's not a lot here. It comes across as a bit juvenile, which is true. Um, <laughs> but like, it's like, you, you're sort of just like, getting three stars in levels for the sake of getting three stars in levels and there's not any thrust beyond that. There's no like, meta layer. Um, and actually, yeah. the process of just getting three stars wasn't satisfying enough. And I was like, you know what? Absolutely right. Mm. Um, you know, like, it, it was completely right. And that was the problem was when I, you know, it came out and I agreed with those aspects. Like, I agreed with the negative reviews more than I agreed with the positive ones. I was like, okay, I need to go back to this. And what happened in the time between then and now is I kind of fell in love with the systems design element in 10 Second Ninja and I, I, I started finding that really interesting. I was like, and now like I I am a fan of this shop of the genre that 10 Second Ninja is set in. Um and that made the whole process like way better. Like I, I feel like one of the problems with the first 10 Second Ninja was uh 10 Second Ninja one launched in March of twenty fourteen and in October twenty thirteen uh, I released my first game which was called Castles in the Sky. Um, it was a very different kind of game. It was kind of like a like a bedtime story in game form, um, and I I I loved that game. I loved Castle and Sky so much. I still do. Um, it's exactly what I wanted it to be. Mm. Um, and you have this thing when you're about to release a game, and if you're not happy with it, you talk to other developers, and they're always just like, "Oh, well, don't worry about it, man. Like, you know what? Like the game you you release, another the game you start out making, like yeah. it's fine. Like, you don't like you don't you're never going to be happy with it." And that was a problem for me because I just released a game that I was sincerely really happy with. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, but I, you can do that. Yeah. Like, I know, I experienced my hand, you can do that. Yeah. So I was like, so this isn't good enough for me. And that's why with 10 Second Ninja X, like, I'm really excited about it because I'm playing it. I'm like, oh, I think this is great. Like, I think this is an actually excellent game. Yeah. And it's like, I, I have. Like, like it, it's that feeling of having no reservations and just being like, like, you know what, even if people don't like this, I don't care, because I think this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, as, as it happens, like, I, if, if you like the first game, you definitely like this. If you were a bit mixed on the first game, I think 10 Second Ninja X fixes a lot, like, pr- all the problems with the first game, really. Um, and, like, that was that was huge. So, so I'm not sick of 10 Second Ninja. I've, like, 10 Second Ninja X wasn't about, like, getting to the, like, working on it until I'm burnt out on 10 Second Indirect. It was about falling in love with the first game after it came out and then being like, hmm. I, I need to do justice to this. Yeah. Um, like, as like I, I wouldn't want to work on another 10 Second Ninja after this just because I feel like, I feel like we've ex- kind of explored everything. Um, yeah. Shouldn't say that another one won't come out at some point, but, like, I'm, I'm not sure I would want to be that heavily involved. Um, yeah. But I... I've been a lot hacker on this project and it's been interesting playing and I think having a few more people on the project has helped with that for sure like constantly having people there to sort of be sounding boards and kind of like play the game through with them and be like 
we're, we're all smiling. We're all like, this feels really good. Yeah. Um, that's been a huge change. Um, and I, I, I'm feeling a lot more positive about it. I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to getting, that's, oh, sorry, that's a very loud dog. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to getting the game out, but also, it, it's not like I'm, I'm sick of it or, or just want to get out the door. It's like, I'm looking forward to get the game out because I'm, I feel like I, I've done justice to it and I'm ready to move on to something else. So yeah, so you got the opportunity to fix and, and, and iterate and improve on the things that were bugging you, so it's yeah. actually sort of giving you a bit more closure, would that be fair? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, a lot, 10 Second Injury X was absolutely about closure. And also just, you know, like I, I mentioned earlier, we've got an Oracle minigame in there that's sort of like a sequel to, to a game we all worked on before we formed as a team about three years ago. Oh. Um, and it's like, it, it feels like rounding off that kind of period of... Of, of not just like us as as a team, but also just like this era of of indie game development. It's yeah. like you know what, like this this type of small team mentality. Like we we can't do it anymore. So what I was talking about earlier was when I was ten, I lied to my school friends, <laughs> and I said that EA Games were gonna make my my dream game, which was basically Jack Two Renegade, um, only the protagonist had blue hair. Right, important distinction. Oh no. Okay, so here's the thing with this. Um, oh god, someone's gonna psychoanalyze this. Because um, <laughs> the there was basically the the game was called Unicorn. And the <laughs> Stop <laughs> laughing. Um, the protagonist was called Unicorn. He had a six pack. He didn't wear a shirt. Lot of <laughs> lot of erotic subtext in this game. Um, a I lot just, of homeworks for a ten year old. The six pack is amazing. Oh yeah, um, he had a horn on his head, right? With blue hair, like yeah. a mullet. Um, oh god, I'm such a dork. He wore camo trousers. <laughs> Cause why not? Um, he could turn into like an evil alter ego called Frostbite, who had ice powers. He could fly. Nice. He had guns. He punched things. Um, <laughs> He had a, a rodent companion who rode on his shoulder who definitely wasn't Daxter. No. Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> what was that guy about? What, the unicorn or the, the rodent? Oh, he was, well, he was a wise-cracking sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe it? Of course he was. Um, oh, I wish you've got any, can you remember any example lines of his, of his, his sass? There was a bit where he had to enter a club. Thought, okay, so I, a club. I came up with this. Yeah, I came up with this bit after I'd, <laughs> I'd seen the opening cutscene to the first Devil May Cry, but not played it. And he had to go into this club. And oh god, this is horrible. He had to go into this club, and the bouncer was like, "Oh, you? No, you're not going in here." At which point, Unicorn flips a coin in the air. It goes in slow motion, flips over, and then he kind of like karate chops the coin, and it goes into the guy's neck, and he dies. <laughs> And then the unicorn goes, keep the change. Keep the change. And it was going to be the best game ever. It was going to be so good. Me and my friends were all in it as characters. Um, <laughs> it's much of the funny I go, it doesn't make sense, this is change. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing but change about it. <laughs> um, you need to kill me with a fiver. <laughs> and then also some change. And also some change. And take the fiver out. <laughs> and fuck it and say you can keep the change. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, that was really bad. Um, there was... 
the, the, the project was like ridiculous. It was that thing where it's like I hadn't understood that the reason games weren't doing absolutely everything ever was because there were production limitations and not because... Yeah. Well, you were 10. Were done. Well, yeah, I was, I was 10. Um, but yeah. Don't beat yourself up too much on that one. On that yeah. But I should know this by now. This was a, a sort of period in my life. There was sort of like a three-year period from when I was like 10 to when I was like 13 where I basically designed games based on whatever music I was listening to at the time. And I had now... 31, that's what I call music. I think it was 31. It might have been now 30. But there was like, Keen was on it with Bed Shaped. I was like, right, that's going to be the ending song because it makes me want to cry. Um, <laughs> Fix You by Coldplay was going to be. It was going to be a very emotional game. Um, yeah. It was It was really bad. Um, there were a bunch of really horribly stereotypical companion characters. Yeah. Um, because I didn't know any better. Of course, again, um, ten years old. It's cool. Yeah, and I and also at this point, like, I <laughs> at this point I was a really big fan of Roland Emmerich movies. I didn't know they were all Roland Emmerich movies, but like, I was like watching like Day After Tomorrow and like mm. Godzilla and Independence Day and be like, these are amazing. Yeah. Um, and they were very and like they, I, I felt like Roland Emmerich has a kind of uh, very affectionate way of of. Of using stereotypes, um, they're like, like they're still stereotypes, and that's bad. But he, yeah. like he, he comes from a place of love, clearly, not from like a place yeah. of like wanting to be mean. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of that DNA ended up being misinterpreted in these early design docs. Um, I also <laughs> outright stole a scene from the 1998 version of Godzilla, um, where he attacks a ship. Yeah. That was the big one of yeah. the big bads was going to attack a ship, and it was like shot for shot. I like did storyboards and just like basically drew it when I was watching it. <laughs> um, just yeah. under the unicorn with a six unicorn, pack and Unicorn trousers. was gonna have an evil brother. who's gonna be the last boss called Seprakon for some reason. Sepricon. I don't even know what that means. Um, and he was gonna have like fire powers, and then the final boss fight was gonna be killing him, and then immediately after killing him, you feel really sad about it, and that's when Bed Shape by King would play. <laughs> um, so it's like a Shadow, Shadow of the Colossus fight. You take down the big colossi and, they, and then the music plays and you feel bad about it. it Except was... instead of strings, it's key. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that! You'd show the colossus if they played key, you know. Play the fawn. That would work, because you've got the girl and she's lying on the bed. It's like, yeah, fetch it. Um, even though that's a song about homeless people. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but that was a whole, like, because there were a few years like that. Like, I, I, when I was, um, <coughs> this is bad as well. There was a game. It's hurting you. There, yeah, so there was a game that I, I can probably show you drawings for this, actually. In my oh, yes. I had, like, three massive A4 folders filled with drawings from that I used to do in school. Mm. Um, but I used to sit in the back of class and just, like, draw game design stuff. Um, and one of these ideas was going to be, like, this massive... RPG sort of largely inspired by like Zelda and Final Fantasy stuff but it was going to be like four player co-op and each character was going to control completely differently and it was like way over ambitious um, but that had that continued the trend of me just listening to songs that I really liked um, and just playing them in the game but the, the problem was this was when I was going through a kind of angsty emotional teenage phase yeah. so it was like all my chemical romance and my <laughs> cutscenes synced up to um, it was really bad that that game, though, was going to finish with Chasing Cars by Snow Patrol. <laughs> um, it was going to be great, because the love interest was going to die right at the end, and then it was going to be really sad, because I'd heard people talking about Aerith and Final Fantasy VII, but I hadn't actually played Final Fantasy VII. I was like, that sounds sad. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> um, 
Because that was that was the point where I was like, games can be about emotions, but the only emotion that I seemed to realise they could be about was just sadness. <laughs> um, so it was bleak and really donkey at the way. End. But what was kind of weird about that, and this is I like I've been thinking about those games a lot recently, because especially with the, well I guess it's exclusively with the the kind of Final Fantasy inspired one. Around the time I was designing this, Final Fantasy XII had just come out. Um, Final Fantasy XIII was just announced, and Final Fantasy Versus XIII was just announced. Yeah. So, in in my design notes for these games, I will show you if I can still find one. So I can. Yeah. Um. They, I have character designs mm. that look exactly like the protagonist of Final Fantasy XV <laughs> that I drew when I was like thirteen. Oh wow. Which is why it's really weird that Final Fantasy XV is now coming out, because I'm now nostalgic for those games that I used to design, <laughs> and they're finally releasing the game that I was ripping off when I was doing it. Like, at the time, the reason I, I really liked that character design and I was putting them in the game is because I was listening to a lot of Michael Rubber Romance, I really kind of like the whole emo aesthetic, and at the time, the what they were doing with Final Fantasy Versus XIII seemed to be a kind of, in the same way that Persona 3 was kind of a... A reflection of that kind of culture. Final Fantasy Versus Thirteen's aesthetic seemed to be in, in the same way, like a reflection of that culture, and it felt very contemporary, very very modern. Mm. Um, I was finally seeing a game, sort of exploring these feelings that I, I was going through at the time. Because the game's taken so long to come out, I'm now nostalgic <laughs> for that initial pitch. <laughs> I'm now nostalgic because I miss that kind of emo aesthetic and all those songs that I used to listen yeah. to and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, okay, and the game. Feels like it's going back to that. Yeah. So it's now been in development for so long that it's I'm nostalgic for the thing That's mad. that it was when it was announced. Um, which at this point was like half my life ago. That is that is crazy. That is very, it, very, very crazy. Yeah. Which brings us back to what we were talking like, about. That's a nice little circle. Yeah. Dev, t- dev time, that's a good illustration of it, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I've, I mean, I've now been des- wanting to design games and sort of design games in notebooks and stuff for most of my life. Yeah. Um, so where did that come from? Do you think? Did I was, you? I mean, when did you start gaming? Gaming. So I started. I started playing games properly when I was about. I think it was eight years old. Okay. Um. So like I, the the thing was my, <laughs> my parents wouldn't let me have a games console because they were worried I was going to get obsessed. Right. Um. Which clearly didn't happen. <laughs> Um, I think we touched on this in the one yeah. the Dancast, didn't we? And they were quite cruel about it, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dance. Um, but yeah. yeah, so they were kind of more. I was going to get obsessed, and yeah. I, I did. I, I fell into a really a deep dark hole with games. Um, <laughs> and Do you remember what your first one? Um, so, I mean, my first one was Pokemon Blue on the Game Boy Color. But my first like home console game, um, I got PS Two, and I got Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> yeah. I got Gran Turismo 3. Right. Um, I got... Oh God, Gran Turismo one? 3 is a hell of a starting game. I, I, but I didn't realise at the time. I was yeah. just like, this is way too difficult. I was yeah. only going back, I was like, this isn't, like, this is, like, amazing! <laughs> it's like how to act, you need to actually drive, like, a yeah. real car. It was like, like it shouldn't have been possible on a PS2, and they were just like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, there we yeah. go. It's pretty much a launch title. <coughs> um, yeah. I can't, what was the third game? There was a third game. I can't remember what it was. It can't have been Harry Kids. Um, but yeah, but I got really into sort of Harry Potter and Chamber of Secrets. I really liked Harry Potter at the time. Um, 
and that that ended up becoming my formative adventure game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like I got really into Zelda later, but until I actually played like I think it was Twilight Princess or Zelda, I really got into like until I played that, like Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets on PS Two was like my adventure game. Um, there's there's one chocolate frog I didn't get, and I realised where it was and how to get to it. Three years after, yeah, I stopped playing it and scratched the disc. Oh. Uh, it's still I know exactly where it is. I I still at some point I'm gonna go back and get that chocolate frog because I'm so sick of not having it. But it's like, I've just not got around to it for like 10, like more than that, like 14 years I've been, I've been going to get it. I see you end up sleepwalking, having like recurring dreams about yeah. it. Well, there's a chocolate, so Collecting here, it. here's the thing, there's a chocolate frog, it's behind a wall by the greenhouse. <clears throat> right. There's a little hole at the bottom of the wall. So I was like, well, I can crawl through it, you can't crawl through it. Well, I couldn't figure out how I get a chocolate frog. I forgot that you can get a broomstick. I fly over the wall. You just fly over and get it. Absolutely fuming. That game was actually really weird. Literally a schoolboy error. It's literally a schoolboy error. Um, I spent a lot of time in that game flying around with a broomstick and then like trying to glitch so I could stand on top of Hogwarts. Um, and you could actually do it, but then like Harry couldn't get down without dying. Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> that that kind of that kind of mentality as well. That's someone who. who That's the thing. Like it, from like, that was my that was my games. first game, and that was sort of me being like, how can I break it? Well, yeah, I was sort of like, okay, well. These these are the constraints of the like, obviously I wouldn't think about it in any sense. I was like these are the constraints of the systems. What can I what can I do within that? And I, I mean I was always like that as a kid. Um, like I was like until I was about seven years old, I was a really badly behaved kid. Right. Um, up until the point where, like, because I, I I just I just kept trying to annoy people. Right. Um, and then it got to the point where my mum threatened to send me to boarding school. Right. And then, I, I fixed myself up quick, and the I I sort of look back and I was like, why am I like that? I don't, I don't know why I'd be like that, and genuinely I think it was because, I I kind of wanted to know what the boundaries were. Yeah. Like I like I knew my mum loved me and stuff, and what annoyed her and stuff. I was like, okay, at, at what point is it like too much? At what point like what? Mm. And like the second I knew what the constraints were, like I stopped. Yeah, I stopped caring. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna be like, like, I'm gonna be nice and polite because it makes sense. Yeah, um, that is, I think, a typical child behavior. It makes me sound like a sociopath. A nah, little bit. I think that is definitely a typical but, child behavior. Yeah. Having 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 some myself, my four year old does does that because she's really yeah. good. She's a good kid, but then she'll go, hold on, what can I do? And yeah. and and until you go right, well, that's that. You know, right, no more Mario Kart. There you go. Yeah. And then, and then suddenly it's like, okay, like I, yeah. I know what this is now. Um, well, sometimes she doesn't <laughs> But the next day she'll go, right, should we play Mario Kart? And I go, no. Yeah. Do you, do you know why? And she's like, yeah. what? Oh, oh, you meant it? Yeah, it's like, you're not bullshitting me. Like, in in game design terms, it's like, <laughs> like, no, this is how the mechanic works. And yeah. then she knows, it's like, okay, like, I, this will make me sound, this will make me sound worse than a sociopath, this will make me sound <laughs> psychopath. But, um, <laughs> like, when I played, I couldn't get into Dead Set Revolution because. Whenever I, if if I, like a, a thing I do if I can play a game like that is I'll just like walk up to a random civilian and like I'll shoot them in the face and be like okay yep. what's the game do as a result, um, and I, I I became really disgusted with myself because I realised that like, I could, get away with murder really easily of just random people and the game didn't really call me out on it. Yeah, I wanted to see how far that would go, um, and I killed everyone in the police station 
in Deus Ex Human Revolution, like every single cup, just to see what would happen, and the game didn't accommodate it. And it first they made me feel sick because there was killing a lot of people. Um, <laughs> but also, like, I, I got to one was like, oh, so like I, I did it to feel around for where the constraints were, and the constraint just kind of wasn't there. Just kind of let me keep keep doing it. I just couldn't get into a result, and I, I really didn't like that game for about a year. It was only once I got comfortable with the idea that there weren't constraints in the game that I could actually go back huh. and play it calmly, because like, I, I need to know what my boundaries are. Um, but yeah, but as a result, as a kid, I was, I was always kind of like that. And it's why I think my teachers never really liked me, is because they'd, they'd just present me... They, they would present me a rule, but not explain how it worked. So they'd be like, this is how X, Y, and Z works. Or like, this is, this is how you do... Like do X to achieve thing Y. I'm like, okay, but I, you're you're saying this statement, but you're not explaining why that's the way it is, and I don't. I like I need that yeah. context. Well, that's interesting uh, because um, something that'll be out by the time this this goes out, which was um, thing I did with Midnight Resistance, which was kind of a half formed uh, interview with Peter Molyneux yeah. for making games is fun. He touches on school and how. He didn't enjoy school because there was very little um, teaching of a practical application of the things he was Absolutely. being taught. Yeah. He said, well, why am I learning this? And because they wouldn't say, don't just learn it. He, he didn't really get on with school either. So it's, yeah, it's interesting to see that's still, well, I say still, well, this it's, is a, a while yeah. ago, but that, that, that's, there's a trend, been a trend of that. In I, I think it's, yeah, it's only a trend with the designers where I feel like we, we typically have to have a holistic view of how something works. Otherwise, we really struggle to understand it. Like yeah. I, I think this is one of the reasons why I, like I, I don't mind spoilers and things too much generally. Mm-hmm. But it's like I. So for example, I I couldn't get into Dark Souls, um, for a long time, okay. until I started watching lots of videos of people explaining the lore and explaining what they thought was interesting about the systems, and until I had this like kind of holistic view of how other people interpreted Dark Souls, how all the different things going in the world until I, I could kind of view it from from a distance and go like okay this is what the game is then I could play it and then it's like I'm I can interact with it a lot easier because it's like I know where I am in it right um, so you don't like the idea of going in and, and, and sort of working things out as you go along you like um, to be ready before you I, I I mean I do in some things but it's like I, I tend to enjoy things a lot more I, I think the main thing is like I tend to enjoy things a lot more once I do understand how things work mm. um, and then it's like it's sort of like you you like the process of learning systems and stuff is really really fun like it's where fun but it's kind of you get to a point where you, I, I like to know the rules so then it's like Okay, here's what the rule set is, and now the the joy is in the the playing of it. Like it's it's interacting yeah. with these and and going like, okay, here are the constraints. What can I do within these constraints that are that is interesting or maybe unpredictable or something that the designers didn't intend? Yeah. Um, like I find that stuff really really fun. Like, I, again, this is gonna make me sound like a monster, but like I I remember there was a, a quest in Oblivion where it's like someone contacts you and there's like an Argonian woman. And she's like, oh. My, my daughter's been kidnapped by this this really weird community in the forest like can you go get her back yeah. I did the whole quest and went all went got her freed from this cage killed a bunch of people came back 
and when she was right outside her mother's house, I shot her in the back of the head with an arrow, <laughs> and then went in, went spoke to mum, and was just like, yeah, she didn't make it. <laughs> like, because, yeah. because, like, that's really interesting, yes. right? Because, like, I mean, it's one of the reasons why it's kind of interesting when Bethesda occasionally design quests that are kind of generic and predictable because it mm. means that you can then you know your place in the script and they can go like okay here's the point where I'm going to veer off from that yes. and go in a completely different direction and it's sort of like I I love that about because the fact that you can just like them be like yeah it's why Deus Ex is a great game as well right because you, yes. kind of, you go like okay well what happens if I do this and then it works and you're like oh my god it works I've got a story about both of those games yeah. particularly Deus Ex which is the thing that I enjoyed the moment I enjoyed the most out of it and the time the moment where I went yeah okay this is this is good um, there is I forget the full details of the quest but there's a guy outside that you need something from and it's a document oh he's got dirt on a doctor who works in the headquarters yeah. or something like that and this guy says well, uh, yeah I've got dirt there's photos of him incriminating photos I believe and he says, well, you can have them as long as you go and do something for me, like clear these thugs out. Then you can, then I'll give you them to you, sort of thing. Mm. And you can either say, all right, or not interested, you know. Yeah. Um, but it isn't, the, op the option isn't, I thought, in my head, I thought, wait a minute, I'm Adam Jensen, I'm like made of fucking guns yeah. and steel. <laughs> and so I just hit the execute, Button. And said, "Fuck you!" Blew, blew him away, and just took the photos off his body. And I was like, "Yeah." And I went, "That's brilliant." Because um, other games would have gone uh, failed. Yeah. And you can't do that. You have to either say, you have to either agree to do it or not. You know, or they have to sort of, yeah. or or there would be a third option that would say kill him. Yeah. In in the dialogue options or something. No, they just but got like didn't the rule set and just like, and, and that's great as well because it, it it lowers the the entry point for immersion. And just sort of makes you go like, I, I think that's a, a big key of this actually is like, once you, you know what the rules are and you can trust them, mm. then suddenly like, you're not thinking about it as a game that you're learning. It's just like, this is just a space I'm in. Here are the rules. Here's what I can do. And the and the and sorry to jump oh. And the reverse of that is um, <coughs> Assassin's Creed uh, Two and Brotherhood, which I did enjoy things in that, but it's the Ezio didn't kill civilians, but. And also, I mean, so a thing I had in Assassin's Creed 4 that really frustrated me, um, like more than it should have done, but like it did, was I was in this kind of like misty island, sort of towards the, the last round of the game, there was like a bunch of Aztec marines there or something, and um, there were a bunch of these, these redcoats um, walking around the, what was the name, redcoats, um, walking around this kind of swamp, and if I walked through the swamp, I tried to avoid them, and then an alligator came out and attacked me, I was like, oh my god, I died. So I did the section again, I was like, hang on, I can lure one of these guys over to the alligator, and the alligator will eat him, and the alligator didn't even realise that this guy even existed. <sighs> and it was, it was stuff like that where I'm like, oh, I'm playing a video game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, that that can be fine, but it's like, when when you are immersed, when you get that moment, it's like, oh. Yeah. Like, it's, it's one of the reasons why, I mean, I know people complain about the linearity of, like, Call of Duty and stuff a lot, but it doesn't really, I don't really mind that because the way I see it is like I'm constantly aware that I'm playing a game and I don't care yes um, like if, if we imagine it kind of like a in terms of it being a script it's like Call of Duty doesn't want you to do any ad-libbing at all mm. they want you to read the script as it exists 
and like I don't care because it's a really good script. It's mm. really fun. Yeah. Um, but when you when you play a game that's a bit broader than that, and they kind of allow some ad limbing, but not all of it. Yeah. It's like it becomes frustrating. Like you play Assassin's Creed, and it's like okay, we you have got this stealth system where you can sneak around and do all these things, but alligators aren't gonna like the animals aren't gonna realize that. Yeah, that soldiers exist. It's this can like canned freedom. It's it's not really. Yeah, there. but it, it, you end up with a situation where it's like, okay, say this line, and now this bit you can improv, and now this bit is like you say this line, and having to switch between them is really immersion breaking. Hmm. But when you just have a, a game go like, okay, like it, you know, like improv, just go like, here is the premise, here are the people in the scene, here are here are the props, hmm. like. Do do whatever. Yeah. Like do yeah. do whatever's most interesting to you within these constructs. Yeah. Um, I find that really, really entertaining. I think it's yeah, it, and I think a lot of people get a lot of lot of joy out of that kind of thing. <laughs> and I loved Oblivion and played it yeah. more than any of the other Elder Scrolls games. It was a really good game. <laughs> um and I think for me solely it was because Oh, who said that recently? <coughs> I'll go on to a theory in a minute, but because the story itself was so po-faced and self-serious but it gave you it didn't stop you from fucking with that story yeah. at all and I can't remember where I heard this I heard it last week or because I'm old I forget things but um, the, this, the someone put forward the theory that they do that on purpose and I yeah. don't know if that's definitely true but some they put forward the theory that they make the main quest like in Skyrim they make the main quest a bit boring and a bit paint by numbers Dungeons and dragons -y. Mm. Especially Skyrim, where it's like, yeah, you know, it's like these old dragons. It's like your granddad talking to you for half an hour about old dragon words. You're like, shut up, I don't care. But, but like anything you can do around that and subvert it is so pleasing, funny, uh, freeing. Yeah, and it is the same like, with that with Oblivion. It's particularly. It's like, like they they use that to yeah. establish normality and then go like, okay, here's how we're going to veer off from that and subvert it. And you don't get punished. Exactly. Like um. It's the opening of Oblivion where it's Uriel Septim the, yeah. uh, and you're running through the dungeons with him and all that sort of thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to be killed by assassins soon. Take this jewel for some reason because yeah. I trust you even though you've been in prison. I just like your eyes. I think it's this reason for... Yeah. He's supposed to be this emperor that's got... He's probably made some fairly smart oh, decisions. And then the minute, the minute he stops talking to you, he's immediately murdered. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I just... He's, he's, I spoke to the guard and he's like, he saw something in you. You must be special. Uh, go to this barn and you know start yeah. the mission. And I was like, ah, I might do, but I might just kneel on on his corpse yeah. and start punching him in the face. Yeah. And I just sat there going, or like, yeah. or like his take, his, are... take his clothes off and start dressed yeah. like walking around dressed as the king. <laughs> like why not? Yeah. Um, and the guy was just watching me. And when I started dragging him, he's like, can you please leave his, his corpse yeah. alone. <laughs> I was like, all right then. But, and I went outside, didn't do the main mission. I went underwater and started hitting crabs in the face. Yeah. And I was like, I'm so happy. And I didn't touch the main mission for like, like uh, 40 hours. So I, I feel like with, with Skyrim, there, there are a few more missteps where I, I feel like they maybe did want you to care at least about the, the civil war in Skyrim. And I'm not sure they, they cared I think that. they particularly wanted you to go down the main quest a bit because you can't get the shout yeah. until you've done a bit of the mission. So I did enough mission to get the shout and then just started shouting. I, I did the exact same walls. thing. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't think I personally know anyone who's been in Skyrim. But, um, uh, but like... <laughs> With some like Fallout Four, right? People made a lot of jokes about this, where it's like, I mean, spoilers for the opening of Fallout Four. Um, but like, your your spouse gets killed and your your child gets taken away, and it's like, you can you can go up to your partner's corpse and take a take a wedding ring, and like, 
that just that and on its own it's like you kind of you create the story in your head based on what you do with that with the system so like you take it and it's like you can either like find a different companion and give them your ultimate system. why don't we like being extremely extremely yeah. meaningful to you or you can like throw it at a super mutant yeah like <laughs> and like that's brilliant and then people also joke to us like oh like you know the, there's all this urgency about like finding a son but then you spend like ages dicking around with settlements and it's yeah. like like that's like they know like they must yes. know yeah like Bethesda it's not like Bethesda don't know what the, the structure of their games are doesn't um, make it any less fun yeah and it's like I, I think it makes it more funny because like you know good good comedy is all about subversion it's about like here's a rule set here's how we subvert it and mm. it's like just enjoying what plays out from that definitely so I think it's why if we look at sort of like comedy games um, where we've had this big trend of like simulator games and it's it's getting dull now because it's the same joke over and over again. But like the initial joke was on like Surgeon Simulator, um, which I, I think is a, a brilliant game. It's just like okay, here is a genre that is typically considered very very serious and kind of boring and stale. Here is a job that is very high stakes and very serious in real life. Yeah. The joke is that you have yeah. your your mechanical interaction with this is completely flippant and ridiculous. Yeah. And that that's exactly what game comedy should be and it's yeah. like it's why I, I feel like genuinely games which have these kind of broad system designs are some of the best equipped to do really good comedy stuff I mean I know Portal 2 is a very good comedy game um, but not so much it's more because the writing is really good not because the, the actual interactions yeah, the comedy interactions the, that are there and the dialogue and writing are brilliant like yeah. press like uh, like press space to talk and then you do a jump yeah like that's that's one of the, the sort of like five or six moments of like mechanical comedy in the game that's just brilliant yeah um yeah and it's like I I know I want to see more games explore that um Stanley Parable's obviously a good example where it's like Mm. it's it's all like comedy from mechanics and how you the choices you make within that game um but yeah I I feel like yeah yeah games that let you go off script and improv a bit and go in any direction with that improv are really well equipped for comedy and I think having a, a solid tonal baseline that you can then play around with uh, yeah. is is pretty quite fun. Going back to uh, your first game Making business. We're not gonna. Don't we're gonna re- revisit the details. So don't <laughs> don't flinch too hard. But um, I think everyone who I've spoken to who makes games, the trend tends to be started playing them when I was young, then started dicking about making yeah. my own sort of things. It's interesting that I had that as well. So I remember making. I drop Street Fighter characters. And they're given names. They're usually total shit. But I do a little profile shot, you know, yeah. drawing of them, blood type and all that. It's basically everything I had in the menu in the manual for Street Fighter Two, and what moves they had and how you did them and all this sort of thing. And I remember making, I'd make like huge board games out of, um, I'd, I'd get uh, play doh, mm. and make make all the pieces, and then I'd get just like an A four pad. Yeah. 
and and do this massive sprawling like level over like 20 pages we have to turn the page to go to the next which yeah. didn't make sense but <laughs> but you know like making all this stuff yeah. um but then that didn't translate into game dev or anything like that or it didn't really i i also had there's something called click and play mm. which was like a a, a a gooey in the face kind of make your own game uh creator yeah really pretty basic um that's fuck that was a very early but that was like you you could draw sprites and make things and put in basic rules and things and um i, I remember trying to make i remember trying to maybe it's because i just wasn't very good at it i didn't pursue it but i remember trying to make a uh top down have you ever played um oh shit what's he called paul something iron man right it's a really old ass game where you go around on a circuit there's another one called badlands Oh yeah, and um, yeah, and you go around, and I was basically trying to make that, but I couldn't figure out how to finish the race to hit, finish like count the laps and then finish yeah. it. But I made a paratroopers game. Have you ever played like a paratrooper style clone where it's you're a gun at the bottom and you're moving upwards? Okay. No, you're a gun at the bottom. It's a bit like um, like missile command and all that sort of thing. Oh right. Yeah. But paratroopers fall down, you have to shoot them, and so and and if too many land on the floor, they'll come and destroy yeah. you base or whatever mm. and you can shoot the parachute I remember making that and that taking me ages and me really enjoying it and I could I remember working out how you could shoot the parachute and they'd fall faster and yeah. die or you could shoot them um, seems pointless now because neither, neither did you know we'll just make it one or the other but it's just a little feature <laughs> and um, but so you know I had those like intermittent yeah. But then that never translated into, you know, I did computing at uni as well and a bit of game design and that, but it never it sort of translated into into doing it further. Now, what do you think took you from, like, messing about, which I think a lot of people who love games and, you know, start playing them from a young age do, to um, continuing to do it and wanting to do it beyond just trying your hand and, you know, but was it maybe just an aptitude thing as I said I find it really hard to make these things work so um, maybe was it you just I, got it it made sense to you and you wanted to do more I, so I think it's a couple of things I think firstly the, the tools are just a lot better now um, I, I, I remember when I was like 14 I was like I'm never going to learn how to program it's not for me I'm not going to do it and it's like 90% of my job now oh really um, why did you say yeah, that because I found it really difficult um, I, I really really struggled with it and it was only when I started using uh, Game Maker which I've been still using for 10 seconds directs that it was sort of like it was like, oh, you don't need to learn code, you can use these drag and drop things. And it was just, you, you have this drag and drop interface that basically represents rules and programming logic, but without actually having to, to do the actual physical coding and, and the syntax of it. Um, and just that on its own was enough to make me go like, okay, I'm kind of getting there. And then I was doing a lot of like game artwork and stuff, and like changing sprites and stuff. And just generally doing a lot of that meant I was around programming languages and stuff enough that I just kind of gradually picked up an understanding of how to code right um, and then by that point I, I was like okay well I'm gonna try my hand at unity and then it was like oh I already know how this all works like mm. it was it was really weird like I, I just kind of had picked up programming naturally that's cool and that's I, I thought that's, that's kind of a new thing but also um, when I so when I was uh, sort of when I was 10 and doing my first games and stuff um, I was sort of approaching it in the same way as like like 
around that same time, I'd also be like, oh, I'm going to design my dream car. And when I'm older, I'm going to make this car. I'm going to design a robot and take it on robot wars when I grow up. Um, <laughs> you know, like, all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I'm going to design my dream house. And, it, like, games are just another version of that. It was like, I'm going to design my dream game. Right. Um, the only difference was that I was sort of like, once I'd done that once, I was like, I have a different idea for a dream game. I'm going to do that. I just kind of kept doing that until it became evident, like, okay, I don't want to do anything else. And I wasn't, you know, my, my teachers at school weren't particularly kind to me and they, they liked to make me feel like I was stupid. So I kind of kept feeling like, okay, this feels like the, the only thing I'm good at. Right. Like, this, I have to make this work. Mm. Um, like, it has to be games or there's nothing else. Like, I, I could guess I could go into web development or something, but like, I, it has to be games, I need to make this work. Um... And once I started thinking about it in those terms, I was kind of like, okay, well, game design seems like one of those kind of fake dream jobs you have when you're like eight, or like nine, or like six, yeah, or whatever, and yeah. you sort of go like, I'm going to be a footballer when I grow up, I'm going to be an astronaut. Yeah. And I'm sort of like, okay, if it's one of those kinds of jobs, then there's going to be a lot of other people who want that job too, mm. and it's going to be competitive. So I've got to approach this with the kind of, of dedication and passion that I would approach being a star footballer with, where like this has to be my life. Um, I kind of rated that to heart, so I was always designing games from that point on, I was trying to pick up bits of pieces of code. Tensec Ninja 1 was the first game I actually like programmed with code. Hmm. Um, that was that was the game that taught me how to properly code, not just like use substitutes for programming and stuff. I played around with RPG Maker a lot, but that, that stripped back the program quite a lot. Um, but yeah, like, it was, it was those few years I was, I was just sort of like, okay, I need to make sure that I have a good portfolio of design work or I'm at least growing as a designer and making design documents and stuff like that. Yeah. And that basically meant that when when I heard about um, after Young Game Designers when I was 16, I had quite a lot of experience writing up design documents and making them legible and I'd already contacted people in the industry and got feedback on those design documents so I knew the, like, where I was rambling too much, what bits were important, yeah. the kind of concerns with production that to consider the kind of like the kind of social things that I have to consider um, industry trends what the problems were with the games industry and, and what I want to change like the, the game I submitted for Bastion Games Designers was a, like a critique of, of it was a platformer that was kind of a a mockery of platformers and the kind of um, the elements of kind of SNES era and N64 era um, social politics that was still persisting in games like sexism and stuff mm. like that like that, all particular kinds of sexism um, and I, I put that in the document I was like you know it's it's designed to be a game where you are the hero but you're you end up being more of a hindrance to this kind of princess character than anything else um, huh. and like I was very clear about that so I was like production is going to be on like because I figured other people were going to be submitting these big ambitious games like 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 the games I've been designing for years right where I was like I'm going to make this huge RPG and I'm going to make this game called Unicorn it's going to be massive um, I still want to see Unicorn come back I'm not sure I actually have any drawings of that <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah so it was sort of this thing where I was sort of like okay I think people are going to be submitting these big design documents I'm going to say we're making a DS game 2D platformer very doable because part of the competition was like, um, you you win this and then we're gonna make a prototype of your game. So I was like, okay, so saying we're making this massive RPG isn't gonna work. No. 
Um, so I was like, okay, very simple thing we can prototype. Um, very simple art style. I was already good at pixel art at this point, so I was like, okay, I'll make a big screenshot. Um, I'm not just going to draw it. I'm going to do a proper thing and, and show it like how it would look on a Nintendo DS. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing. Like that was that was really useful and yeah, a, a large. Basically, my teenage years were just me figuring out how to write design documents and and how that kind of the just the pure design theory stuff worked. Um, yeah. And it meant that when I actually did sort of pick up programming and start getting and get to the point where I was confident enough to actually program a full game which was 10 Second Ninja 1 yep. I had an understanding of design theory um, that was not amateurish Well, we've um, we you have been on before on the downcast yes. back in in on loading bath. Props to loading. Yes. Um, who have grown? They've got another bar. Yeah, I was gonna say I went to their other bar there like a it? week ago. It's great. Yeah, it's yeah. lovely. But how about you give us a little, a brief update on how what's happened since then? How you've been sort of moving on? Obviously, we we've, we've been talking about ten second interacts and all that sort of uh, come to fruition, but. Uh, I can't even remember how we left you, to be honest, because that was a little while ago. I think... So 10 Second Ninja X wouldn't have actually been announced then. No, I don't think I, it I would have been quietly working on things, because that was when we were finalising our deals with Curve. Um, right. For the publisher of 10 Second Ninja X. So uh, around that period, that was basically us sort of properly nailing down what was going to happen with that project. Mm. Um, we were finally kind of wrapping up all our publisher discussions and stuff, which had been a process that went on for like five months. Yeah. Um, but I, at the same time, I'm really happy with with how that turned out, so it was worth it. Um, but yeah, so we we finalised Publisher. We over Christmas, I was very very busy getting Ten Second X content complete uh, or getting the levels done. Um, after that, was story. A lot of a lot of just sort of kind of slogging it. Really. Yeah. Um, we announced the game in March. Um, which is great because it was the first time in like two years I could actually talk about something I was working on. So not that long, not that long ago at the time. Of no, it feels it feels very long ago. Yeah. Um, the past few months has both felt like a, a blur and also like like three years compacted into about four months or so. Like it's it's been just nuts. Did announcing it build on the pressure to finish up? Yeah. I mean, it, it it actually gave us quite a good boost because that was around the time where we were starting to get fatigued. Because you definitely get a, a, to a point with a project where you go like, if you if you're working too hard and you're starting to burn out, you kind of go like, if it's not announced, if I don't finish this, if I just stopped right now and did something else, no one would know. Yeah. And it wouldn't matter. And it's like that. That's always a, a kind of temptation. But once it's announced, it's like, no, this is coming out. There's stuff riding on this. Um, and that kind of helped. I mean, obviously a lot of that already came from just, like, signing with Curb and being like, okay, we're not the only people, like, financially yeah. reliant on this now. Like, they're yeah. investing money in this. Um, but, it, yeah, it definitely helped. It made it... It was, it was really um, affirming to see the reaction that we got because, obviously, the big worry as well is when, before you announce something, it's just like, what if we announce it and just no one notices? <laughs> yeah. Um... 
But thankfully, we had quite a lot of people who, who really liked the first game. Like, oh my god, like, there's a new 10 second engine. It's like, oh, thank god you still exist. <laughs> um, <laughs> Welcome. So, oh, good. Like, you stuck around for this bet game that's just, like, so much better. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was. It, it was a real boost. Um, I was going to ask about. Um, in terms of people are going to think I'm obsessed with Crunch the number of times I talk about it on this, on this yeah. show. But, so, um, the games industry should talk about Crunch a lot more. I think in so. In general, so. How, what's it, because I guess crunch means different things to different companies. And when you're kind of, I mean, you do your, your, the majority of your work alone. Yeah. You know, physically. Yeah, like we, <laughs> yeah we work remotely. Um, so what, I mean, what's crunch like in that situation? When you're, like, these past few months when you're just kind of, you've had to hunker down and, hunker down, there's a phrase. Um <laughs> And, and, and get really stuck into it like is that easy is that hard when you're on your own is it what kind of pressures do you think it you can be so it's kind of a mix on the one hand it's kind of nice because it gives like I'm quite an introverted person anyway so it gives me a good excuse to sort of be like okay I'm going to sit in a room and watch sitcoms for like yeah. a whole day <laughs> and just work on a second screen like yeah. um, and that's that's great that's one of the points where like even though it's it's tough and you're working like I, I, I really try not to do this now because like I, I was really bad for doing this with the first game and I, I, I it's not healthy but like at very occasionally you will get a day where it's like okay deadline's tomorrow I need to work 18 hours today mm. and like th- those are the days where it gets really really tough but at the same time you, you even though you're working long hours you have this moment where you're like I'm sitting at home in my dressing gown watching Friends yeah and working and like like this shouldn't be a job that I get paid for. Like, <laughs> yeah. even though you're working long hours and you're tired and stuff, you're sort of like, if this is as bad as it gets, like, it's still, it's still pretty great. Mm. Um, and I feel like a, an important distinction when it comes to the topic of crunch is like, if, if you're someone who is in control of crunch, you should hold yourself to different standards to the ones that you hold other people to. Like, I, if, if someone else uh, if I see someone else on the team working not not that I'm like like a, a, a leader or anything but it's like if I see someone else on the team and they're, they're crunching and like even even if we are pretty pressed for time like it, it's important to say like you don't need to do this like you yeah. like also like go on a walk like do something else for a bit yeah because um, otherwise like you like you can see people starting to go mad and it's it's not it's not right um, I have quite a high tolerance for that stuff but even I, I'll get to the point where I'm like, okay, I worked too long today. I'm not doing anything tomorrow. Mm. Like the, I, I may have worked like eighteen hours nonstop since I woke up and then just crashed out. It's like tomorrow, I'm just gonna like watch The Office and play Hitman. Like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I think it's always um, one downside of crunching alone that there's less impetus to put a limiter on yourself. Yeah, you, you need to force it. Um, and that's something that I've been trying to learn over the kind of the past few years because, like, it's not good. It's really not good. And also, it could be really lonely, especially if you're crunching for long periods of time. Like, I, I'm, I'm quite fortunate in that I've never really had to, to like, properly crunch for a long period, for, for more than, like, a few days at a time, right. really. Yeah. Um, like, obviously, I, I know I said that I've been working very, very hard since sort of Christmas, but it's more just, like, working like no not taking as many days off and stuff mm. um but it's not like 
like I'm not getting heart palpitations or anything. Like, right. That that's always a distinction. Like this, the second you you wake up and your heart's racing, it's like mm. okay, something's wrong here. Yeah. Like e- even if the the reason my heart's beating is because of a lot of work to do, and it feels as if working harder will solve that. It's like all that means is that I need to take a step back from it because I'm in too deep. Yes. Definitely. Um, so that's something you feel you've sort of learned over time and over this project as well. Yeah. Like I mean. A lot of that's because, like, since Ten Second Ninja came out, and since Ten Second Ninja X is about to come out, um, like, I've just known people who have, like, got, like, stress-induced vertigo or something, and, like, right. been hospitalised and stuff, and it's like, it's a real thing, like, it, it, it's not just like, oh, it's not healthy in the same way that, like, having a can of Coke is unhealthy, it's like, no, like, huh. you, you, it can have very, very immediate effects yeah. that are, like, way worse in the long term, so, like, yes. objectively, from a work standpoint, it's not sensible but also from a just general personal health standpoint, it's not great. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like it's it's something I'm I'm quite keen to avoid and like I, the the most intense work week we we had was actually like three weeks ago. But even for that, like because we knew it was going to be intense, I I went up and I I travelled to uh, the other dam who's our, our program. Like I went up to travel to his house. Right. We worked in the same room. So and we we made sure we we took breaks once to cinema we, like, uh, played Uncharted Four and stuff like because it had just come out, and that was a, sort of a point where like we were working stupid hours that whole week, but because the other person was there it was a lot easier to kind of like, stay kind of calm and chilled and we did make sure we treated ourselves and things like that because, otherwise we wouldn't have done it we would have just individually been in our in our homes and worked like yeah. ridiculous hours and got no sleep yeah that sounds important yeah. You then you had each other to bounce off and, and limit each other. It's one of the reasons I quite like the idea of having a physical office that sort of yes. shares with people or like a, a kind of co-working space. It's something I've been looking at more a bit recently. Um, yeah. Just because it seems like that would be a good way to sort of put a hard cap on like, okay, you it, it's it's 8 o'clock. Yeah. You, you can lock up yeah. and be like, get out. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's get out and lock it up, yeah. Because it, it's an easy, yeah, easier to put a balance mm-hmm. on that yeah for sure so you think you threw the, the major the worst of it now with, with, with this um, one I think so I mean we've so we there was a point where we were initially going to launch 10 second into X in mid June um, right and then we basically looked at the release calendar and this was before No Man's Sky got delayed and this was um, and th- this is when we sort of reached out to, to platform holders and stuff and it was like okay E3 is around the same time we're not going to get any support. Like this is this is a, a stupid idea, and like it wasn't. We we weren't sure about pitching up the curve and sort of like can we delay it because it, it meant it, it it felt like it would be a failure on our part. Like, yeah. It just sounds like we we like scheduled poorly or something. Um, and then curve approached us and was like, we we haven't got a game for July anyway. Pushing it back literally makes no difference. Okay. July slate's kind of dead, so like we we'd have good coverage let's do that um, and at that point we were sort of like okay that that was the most in- intense crunch because we were kind of pushing it for time anyway um, and that was looking like we were about to breach our final console submission date um, so we were nervous about that so we're working very hard for that but it meant that we were sort of like okay well, we've kind of got like like realistically we only need the next like week and a half mm. on the project if we were working at the rate that if we continue working at this rate yeah. if we delay it by a month we can we can kind of stretch that out over about three weeks, right? Um, and it's like okay, so we can actually like 
live a bit and like yeah like just be normal people for a bit um so we've that we were very fortunate because of that and i mean i don't know i, I i'm definitely a lot better at managing time and stuff and managing schedules and stuff than i was on the first game but um yeah we still slip up occasionally like i, I feel like if we just asked for an extra month when we were pitching to publishers like that, I mean, we'd be launching it the same day we are now, anyway. But it's like it, that would have been enough to just go like, okay, well, we don't, we don't need to crunch at all. Yeah. Um, Did it ever get on top of you this time? Do you think at any point? Yeah, there was. So there was this one week in late March, early April, where. So sorry. So it's just post announcement, right? This was yeah. This was just after announcement. It was um. The, the Norwich Gaming Festival was on, uh, which is an event that uh, we sponsor. Right. And um, it's also because we sponsor it as the company, but also uh, Dan, our programmer, lives in Norwich. He helps out with the festival. Um, and they've been very, very good to us. And we're showing the game there. So we needed a build for that. I needed to write talk for that. Um, at the start of that week, some surprise tax stuff got dumped on us. Right. Which, was fun. Yep. It was like... Because my, my sister's an accountant, and she was kind of like, um, yeah, it's looking like you're going to have to pay about two grand. We got that down to 800, but it was like, okay, so we just, like, emergency need, like, I mean, we had the money in the account, but it's like, okay, like, what's... Yeah. Like, it's, it's just, like, needless stress, and we had to send that off and stuff, and it was all, like, a whole thing. Um, and what else happened that week? We were applying for some funding, and we were hitting the deadline for that, um, and that would be funding for the next project. Um, we had to get a console submission build ready, <laughs> and that wasn't ready. Um, I I was seeing someone at the time who who lives kind of like four hours away, and I had to take an emergency trip up to see her. Right. That took a couple of days. I had to get back, and then immediately when I got back, I was in Norwich Game Festival. When I was actually there, I got hit by a van. Bloody hell! Was, yeah, I was crossing the road, and I kind of like I, I'm not sure. If seen whiplash but like there's a moment in that where he's he's just so focused on like what he needs to to do that um he he gets in the car and is like driving to the point that he really needs to be there because he just can't like be, being late is just not acceptable to him um and as a result he's sort of two in his own head and um he just gets like sideswiped by another car right. and like the car crashes and like he just kind of gets up and keeps going to right. the to go to even though he's covered in blood he's been in this car accident and like that was the first thing I thought of when I got hit by the van. Like, <laughs> I, it just clipped, like, yeah, I didn't, well, I was saying it just clipped me. I, I took the wing mirror off. Um, I kind of flew a few feet. It, it hit me really hard. I was very lucky that I, I didn't hit my head and anything. I wasn't concussed. I was just bruised and kind of cut up. Yeah. Um, like, scars. Uh, oh, yeah. That, that, that's where it, see, these scars are kind of small, but it's like, this is where I landed. This was where I got hit. I've got, like, a big scar on my head. Um, but that was kind of, like, my whiplash moment. Uh, where it's kind of like, oh, this is my limit. Yeah. This like I've I've found it. This is the exact point where I had too much on. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that was just poor timing, but a lot of it was just because like, I was I was overworked and stressed, and we took too much on at the at, at once. Um, yeah. And I, I was at a point where like just in my personal life, I was kind of I I didn't have enough time to, like I. The, the relationship without going into it too much is yeah. very kind of codependent. Um, You're just so, being pulled in so many directions. At the yeah, same time. it was like it required quite a lot of time for me, and I, I just didn't have any time to invest at that point. Um, 
I, I was invested. I didn't have enough time to invest in work. I didn't have enough time to invest in my personal life. So as a result, both of those became bigger problems. Yeah. Until it was one, I was like, okay, I can't, I can't do both of these things. Yeah. Um, thankfully, uh, like after that week, things settled down quite a bit, and I basically spent like a month just kind of tying up loose ends and making sure that I was like, okay, I I need to just be focusing on this right now. I, I can only do this because this is this is I, like almost killing me. <laughs> like, oh yeah. Um, very very much so. Yeah. Although saying that at the Norwich Gaming Festival they had like a this is just a pure bragging thing just because I like mentioning it but like they had <laughs> outside the Norwich Gaming Festival they had like a, a kind of um, like medieval battle thing where like two people could like fight each other with these robber swords and you had these helmets with horns on the other shape and not horns of the other person's helmet. Um, and even though I'd been hit by a van, I hadn't been to hospital at this point either because like I got I got back. I was going to say what happened after. So you just carried on and went to. The... I, I went and I saw her and then I, I came home and then I I had one day at home where I had to hide this from my family because I knew that if I found out that I'd been hit, I'd been hit by the van, they wouldn't let me go to Norwich Gaming Festival and I had to go to Norwich Gaming Festival. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Um, yeah. So then I went up to Norwich <laughs> on the train. Um, at which point, uh, Becky, our admin person, was just like, like, checking me out and making sure that I was okay. <laughs> and, like trying to analyze whether I had to go to hospital. Um, yeah, we. So I, I kind of, I, I went straight to Norwich afterwards. I didn't, and then uh, actually after Norwich, we I did a work week at Dan's. So stayed at his for a week after this this Norwich Gaming Festival weekend. So I only got back home just, about two still weeks. No, still no, like hospital visit. Nah. Um, so I got back about, and, and at this point, like it was only at the end of this work week that my knee started really hurting. Right. Um, so I, I went to hospital when I got back and basically told my family, like, look, I'm sorry I didn't mention this before. I hadn't tweeted about it or anything. Um, and I was sort of like, right. Because like, my mum raised my Twitter and she found out from Twitter she'd killed me. Um, but I switched off and I was like, okay, I've been hit by a van. I think I'm alright. My legs are a bit sore though. I would like to go to the hospital and just sort of get it checked out. Um, turned out all it was was just like I'd, I'd been hit so hard that there were the I had a bruise like in the middle of my knee that was spreading outwards <laughs> to the skin so then as it was going through whenever I moved the muscle it was like pushing the bruise and aggravating it yeah um, oh man yeah so I was, I was like I wasn't in a good way but anyway the point is the bragging thing <laughs> outside the Norwich Gaming Festival there was this like medieval thing and even though I was injured and hadn't been to hospital yet our programmer Dan was like come man we'll do a sword fight let's do it and I was like no like I'm really really like this is a horrible idea um, and I was like no it'd be great no it wasn't even that he went like I was like no like you're obviously going to win you're taller than me you play table tennis and I'm injured like you're you're going to yeah. and he was like yeah I know <laughs> I was like <laughs> But yeah, um, and then I beat him 4-1. There you go. That's well. Because I've seen him play Dark Souls. And I was like, hang on, he's going to fight exactly how he does in Dark Souls, isn't he? <laughs> um, and I just used that to like, to like, just like psych him out. Uh, to the point where by the end of it, he was just charging at me and like losing his call. And I was like, yeah. Um, oh man, that's amazing. But yeah, so it was it was a busy week. Uh, I got hit by vans, sword fights, taxes. Ugh, it was great. Quite the week. But yeah, that was so that was sort of start of April and oh that was the other thing we just needed to build because GDC was not GDC. PAX was coming up. We need to build ready for PAX. Um so all of this stuff was going on. Um I, I was spread very thin. Yeah. Um but yeah, but I've 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 not done anything that intense since and I don't want to ever again. Yeah. I guess um, it's, if anything just 
Because some some lessons. Plus the thing, like I mean, like it's considering how that all could have gone down. I I was I was very lucky. Yeah. But like in every single aspect, like the fact that the the tax all that stuff we thought was going to be the fact that. Um, I if I'd walked out a second sooner in front of the van, I I I would probably be dead. Um, if yeah. you know the 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 reason I took the emergency trip there in the first place, that was end up being fine. Um, the the bill went down well at Norwich, even though I was really tired. I I wrote a talk for Norwich like two hours before I had to give the talk because I'd been so busy, and then that ended up going down really well. I want a sword fight. Like, <laughs> like considering how that could have gone, yeah. um, like I, I was very, very lucky. Um, mm. But it was it, it put enough of a scare on me that I was kind of like, okay, like never again. Yeah. Like never again. Yeah. Um, I feel like I mean, I, yeah. I feel like most people have that experience when they're they're at uni or something where like they they realize they're not immortal, and yes. like I've never had that. Yeah. So this was kind of my moment. Was like, oh, oh right, like. I'm I'm a fragile human being, <laughs> um, and I, I should sort of respect that. Yeah, interesting. Um, interesting that it's not only sort of dev and coding lessons you got out of this. Experience oh yeah, that making it's been like a full yeah, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off style hmm. learning experience. Yeah. Cool. I think that's a nice little closing point. Cause we've cool. Done some brilliant chat. So just yeah. remember, everyone out there. You are mortal. <laughs> yeah, look when you're crossing the road and don't overwork yourself. <laughs> <laughs>